The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee. He did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst, Putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. When we begin anything in our lives, I mentioned this partially last week, We want to know where we are going. We want to know the chances of success. We want to know the product. We want to know what effect it will have upon our lives, perhaps upon our long-term future. We want to know what's in it for us. We wouldn't put it that way, but we want to know. What's in it for me? We have a certain ambition. There's nothing wrong with certain types of ambition. A desire for something greater. Depending upon the motive and the goal. But very often in doing that, we miss certain elements of life that seem to us to be foreign or difficult because we think the sacrifice is too great. Today's gospel is about that. Our Lord once again takes the disciples aside by themselves, the twelve. He doesn't want anyone else to be with them. And he tells them yet again, the Son of Man is to be handed over to men and they will kill him. He's telling them once again, as we heard last week, why he's come. This is the reason for my being here, the reason for my being, the reason for the incarnation. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. They don't understand that they're afraid to ask. 
Besides which, it completely contradicts, as we learned last week with Peter, what they have in mind. Their own future. What's in it for them? What will we get? They have an idea of that, but our Lord is confusing it for them. And so, when they get to where they're going, our Lord asks them a question. Our Lord always knows what questions to ask us if we have the courage to answer him. What were you arguing about on the way? Not what were you talking about, what were you arguing about? This is serious business. It's a dispute. They remain silent because they know that the Lord does not want to hear what they were doing, although he already knows it. They have been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Can you imagine that conversation among the twelve? Who would have thought they were the greatest and for what reason? Who was the most loved? Who was the most popular? Who had the most authority? Who did the Lord trust more than the others? Which one was the greatest? Again, they're thinking of a political kingdom, an earthly kingdom. They simply cannot understand, will not understand, what he has been telling them all along about why he came and about why they're following him, about their future. They still don't understand that. So our Lord brings them together and says, if anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. But it won't be the last time he has to do this with them. At the last supper, they'll bring it up again. Who is the greatest? You can imagine certain things, can't you? John was certainly much loved by our Lord for his innocence. Certain others had other qualities about them, too. Andrew was outgoing. Hard to beat St. Peter, though, for authority. And he walked on water. The rest of them never did. In any event, he tells them they have their whole, all their priorities upside down. The only way they will ever begin to learn this is when they realize that for him, service means the cross. That's where they will begin to learn exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And who is the greatest? If you want to know which one of us is the greatest, we will learn it here. They won't do it very well. The time will come, though, when they will joyfully decide that they want to do what he told them to do, that they will serve and they will be willing to take upon themselves the same sacrifice that he did by way of service to the rest of humanity. They will learn that, as we must learn it, as we are called to. But it's a difficult lesson to learn, isn't it? And although he will try it over and over again, what will happen? At the very end, they will be hidden by themselves in an upper room somewhere, terrified, until he comes and takes away their fear. And they then are willing to move forward, whereas before they were unwilling to do so. He tells them that he has come to be broken. That's the reason for his coming, to be broken for for humanity. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But once a year, I am told by the parish council and the finance council that I'm supposed to speak about stewardship, which I'm going to do very briefly this morning. This is my annual talk on this, by the way. Uh, Generally speaking, I only mention it once a year. So if somebody tells you that all he ever talks about is money, they've only been here once this year. Uh, 
I'm always having to appeal once a year for greater giving, particularly at St. Joseph's now. St. Joseph's is about to do something incredible. It has for years with wonderful pastors, Monsignor Williams, and now we're going to do something that will change the life of our parish. But we need to keep moving. We aren't, the church can't be static. We have to move forward. I'm going to ask you, to, if you possibly can, to increase your giving by whatever you think you can increase it. We very much need it if we're going to move forward and become what we need to be, what the church needs to be. This is a difficult time, some would say, to mention stewardship and giving because of all the things going on in the church right now. And there are some who might say, um, I'm going to make a statement by not giving or by not giving as much. Well, that will only weaken the parish and the diocese. I understand the thinking, but it won't help. The church needs to move forward now, not backwards. She doesn't need to shrink. She needs to grow. This is a new era we're entering into, and we have to take charge of it. And we're beginning here at St. Joseph's. What's the expression, all politics is local? Well, so is the church. This is where we really come face to face with, with the Lord, isn't it? When you think about it, what the parish does, what happens in the parish for us. Where else could we go? What can we pay for the anointing of the sick? particularly in preparation for death, for the forgiveness of sins. What can we pay for the Eucharist, for the body and blood of the Lord? Pay for it. But the church is always there with it. That's why I'm asking for us to build. I know things are are difficult right now, but we've got to begin that change, you know, to become a new and different people and to be visibly different. Remember that beautiful statement of St. John Chrysostom, he, he was speaking about that episode in the Gospel where the, the widow gives two cents and the Lord praises her for that. He said, you can't buy heaven for all the money in the world. And she got it for two cents because she gave everything. I'm not asking for everything, just as much as we can do. You know, the church is, people say the church is going to diminish now because of all that's going on. Uh, you know, perhaps to some extent she will. She has in the past. In the 11th century, in 1054, there was the Eastern Schism. The church was split in half between the East and the West. And then in the 16th century, the, the Reformation, people wanted to change the way the church thought. There was nothing wrong with the way the church thought. There was a great deal wrong with the way people lived. But then again, Something happened in both cases. After the Eastern Schism in 1054 came the Grand Middle Ages, a time of holiness, piety, and learning such as the world has never seen again. And after the Reformation, the church exploded with a life no one ever thought she would have. She was, it was a new springtime. The great religious orders, conversions, the church evangelized the entire world, the new world. She went everywhere. And now, I think we're going to be seeing a new springtime as well. There are always painful things, new springtimes, when we have to come out of an age. When in, the Renaissance, in the 16th century, they were coming out of a century and a half of corruption. We now are going to come out of our own age into something new. Whether we'll all live to see it all, I don't know, probably not. Um, but it's going to happen. And we have to be part of that, and St. Joseph's has to be part of that. Because we are where we are. Um, 
I don't mind asking us all to give more because of where we need to go and what we need to become. Um, I said, people say, the church is going to shrink, as I said. She has, as I mentioned. But that's the devil's work. The gospel tells us the church is supposed to encompass everybody without exception. We can never leave anybody behind if at all possible. That's the work of God, the work of our Lord, the real work of the church. And we are the ones who are called to do it. So the times in which we live are difficult. But keep our eyes on the saints. We look at things the way the saints look at them. Again, a new springtime. Not the way sinners do. Of course, since we're all sinners, it's not so easy to do that, is it? If we weren't sinners, we probably wouldn't have such a difficult time doing that. But it's easy to say, good heavens, things are terrible, they're getting worse. No, things are going to be different. Things are well here at St. Joseph's. Our diocese and our bishop are doing all the right things. There's some place to live. We're going, we're moving, and we will continue to do so. But we'll all be centered around the sacraments. You know, I mentioned brokenness. Our Lord broke himself for us. When you look at the crucifix, you see how some elements of the church today are part of that brokenness. Well, we all are in our sinfulness, but some more so than others. But I stumbled across a saying from Bishop Sheen the other day. So it was good to... By the way... They just published a book, an anthology of all of his thoughts on the seven last words from the cross. You can buy it in his name. I just did. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's going to be a wonderful book, I think. In any event, what he said about brokenness was he said, broken things are precious. The church is somewhat broken. By the way, you and I are too. Broken things are precious. We eat broken bread because we consume the death of our Lord and his broken life. Broken flowers give perfume. Broken incense is used for worship. St. Paul, a broken ship, saved St. Paul and many other passengers on the way to Rome. And sometimes, the only way the good Lord can enter some hearts is to break them. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes, the only way the good Lord can enter some hearts is to break them. Well, we are here to be present for a broken heart. The broken heart of our Lord as he comes to us in his Eucharistic sacrifice. We don't usually think of him that way, do we? Our Lord having a broken heart. Over us. Over the church sometimes. Oh, no, not the church. The church is all what she is. It's us, the members. But the good news is that that broken heart is now a victorious heart. It's overcome all obstacles. And you and I are part of that victory. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the cross of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the Church throughout the world, that her members will be visible signs of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. 
for the healing, strengthening, and purification of the church in our own country. We pray to the Lord. For all nations of the world, especially our own, that they may come to know Jesus Christ and know his sacrificial love. We pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering and dying, for those who are confused or frustrated or depressed, that they may know that they are united to the Lord. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost faith, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations of priesthood and the consecrated life, and those young men and women who will have the courage to bear the cross in a unique way, for a greater reverence for the heroic love of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. For our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, that having first become holy through the Eucharist, they may then proclaim that to others and heal the wounds in our country, we pray to the Lord. For all those who have suffered from the hurricane, for those who are still suffering for their safety and their healing, for those who have died, we pray to the Lord. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, that our lives will be so transformed by what we receive that the world may understand the love of God. We pray to the Lord. We now join our prayers to those of the Mother of the Lord as we sing. 